Hello and welcome again to Back to the Future Minute, the daily podcast where we analyze the movie Back to the Future Part 2, one green screen minute at a time. I'm Nick Jimenez in the news. I'm Scott Corelli and joining us for our second day of Minute Family All-Star Week from Goodfellas Minute, Ron Richards. Welcome. Hey guys, how you doing? Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Happy to have you. And today we are going back to Minute 87, which uh, begins with uh, some really interesting scenes of uh, Marty uh, leaving his leaving backstage to go climb up a ladder and ends with Marty uh, desperately trying to reach a bundle of ropes. It's uh, it's it's all guitar solo. I, I, I was I was I got to say, after watching the minute, I, as you guys mentioned, I, I come from Goodfellas Minute, where Goodfellas Minute uh, dealt with the mafia. And there's something uh, within the mafia called respect. And so I, I find it interesting that you guys, out of respect to me, gave me a minute uh, with no dialogue. So <laughs> I, I really appreciate the respect you're showing. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I watched it. I was like, at first, because I was like, oh, this is actually one of this is one of my favorite scenes in the movie. Uh, but then there was nothing to talk about. So this is going to be a short episode. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it, it it it's yeah, it's just how it shook out. <laughs> I want to talk. I want to talk a little bit about special effects and what what makes them work and more importantly what what makes them not work okay i i, I have a counterpoint but i'm gonna let you I, I i think i have a sense of where you're going and then i'm gonna come in with a counterpoint so go for, let's let's hear this so <laughs> my immediate my immediate reaction to this scene with marty interacting with the first movie is a lot of it looks very weird and kind of pasted over, but I'm not sure when and where the effect is happening. I just, I just, I, there's some unva- there's some uncanny valley stuff happening with my eyes, and I, I'm just curious as to if what 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 the technical parts of it actually are. Well, it's actually you mentioned green screen. It's actually not green screen. It's the uh it's the same camera technique that they used on Roger Rabbit, which was the the It looks the, so much like Roger Rabbit. Yeah, yeah, it's it's the it's the using it's they program a camera movement and they just do it once where Marty's on stage and they do it again with Marty in the rafters or whatever you would call that thing that he's crawling on. Um sure. And the problem, I think, is that normally what we're seeing is we're we're they're doing that move, but they're doing it with a split in the screen, like a very obvious split in the screen. Um, whether that's like a pole in the middle of the frame or something that's splitting the two sides of the scene. But here you're not really getting I think they use a curtain at one point, but it's not as good as like a pole, which is very stiff, but then like it's supposed to be stiff and a curtain isn't supposed to look stiff, but it looks stiff because of the thing that they're doing and the effect doesn't super work in this scene, I don't think. So now so now here's the counterpoint, all right? So and this is where I'm gonna sound like old man river. But <laughs> uh now and forgive me, I don't remember, but did, did you have did you guys see this in the theater when it came out in eighty nine? Are you are you too young for that? I, I'm I'm about I'm about like a year, maybe two years too young for that. But okay. yeah. All right. So I saw this in the theater mm-hmm. and also I saw Roger Rabbit in the theater. And but to be honest, even though you can tell this is an effect, 
for 12 year old me seeing this in the theater this blew our minds oh sure this is this is the this is the this is the seeing the t-rex for the first time in jurassic park level special effects from uh you know a a nearly teenage you know kind of set of eyes sitting in the multiplex on long island it was just like he marty's he's in there are two of them in the scene how did they do that it was it was really the kind of movie magic that only something that somebody like Steven Spielberg, who is vaguely associated with this movie, could do. Um, and the thing is that you can tell. I mean, like the lighting is a little like it, there's this weird highlighting around Marty um, in the foreground when he's doing the the windmills. Um, <laughs> and and you, so you like the thing is you can tell it's it's fake movieing. There's a verb for you, movieing. Um, <laughs> But the thing we've, is, we've come up with much worse words. Yeah, sure, yeah. Show. <laughs> but um, but but and, and I remember even then seeing in the theater, knowing that okay, this is an effect because clearly Michael J. Fox can't be in two places at once. But um, at the time, it was it was mind blowing. It was great. We sure, it's it. like the first so. time we saw Gollum in Two Towers. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I mean, I think I think this effect works like cr- like crazy well in every other sequence that we've seen this in where like doc is interacting with himself and the biffs are interacting with themselves. It works like it works great. It's just in this particular scene, they don't get that hard cut. So you get a little bit of, Oh, this is, this is obviously an effect well, this time. You know what well, it honestly, me honestly they, 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 they fly too close to the sun with this is because this, yeah. this yeah. is a really hard sequence to do this in. And I kind of, yeah. I want to give them credit for trying and, and yeah, you're right. It's not perfect, but I, uh, you know, at least they didn't shy around it. They went for it. Yeah. So much like yeah. general, much like general Zod, he flew too close to the sun. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were going to say general grievous. And then I was going to stop you. But. He did a lot. Of, <laughs> he, he did a lot of stuff wrong. You know what, you know what this shot reminds me of? It reminds me of, last season so to speak when we were reviewing back to the future it's like that one shot of marty's hand dissolving where it's like the one shot in this perfect movie that kind of looks aged yeah the one where his hand like comes up in frame and it's obviously not attached to his body um so yeah now now, i mean and and you can nitpick on the on the uh effect but what i'm more struck by in this scene and i went back and compared this scene in the first movie um, is the blatant uh, mistake that they make in the very beginning of this minute when we, you know we see Marty in, in the bad leather jacket and fedora, you know, kind of disguise outfit, and then they have um, uh, Marvin Berry walk backstage and pick up the phone. Sure, uh, it's completely inaccurate in uh, comparison to the first Back to the Future movie because Marvin walks to the side of the stage and walks around the desk and picks up the phone and then sticks his hand out towards the stage for Chuck to hear, Chuck Berry to hear the music. Oh. But because but in this scene, because they've now added a ladder, which also wasn't there in the original movie, he's got to walk around the ladder and then the camera shot is in the wings of the theater looking out at Marty and you see Marvin with his back to Marty pick up the phone and start the phone conversation. It's completely wrong. Yeah, I, well, I could be wrong. I I think it's even the wrong side point of the stage. In the song. Yes. Yeah. Well, yeah. They, they 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 cut the song in half in the sequence, more than half. Um, yeah, the, the song is all over the map in terms of uh, linearly, um, and also it's a different piano too. That this piano in Back to the Future Two has got a much higher. Um, it's like a, a much taller piano than the one in the first movie because they show uh, Marvin leaning on it. And then in this one, he's just standing next to it because it's so, so taller. So mm-hmm. I, those are the little, you know, like when you've got no dialogue, this is what I look forward to talk about. So I'm, <laughs> uh, yeah. I'm attributing all of these changes and inconsistencies 
with whatever fissure in space time that caused uh, that caused Jennifer to turn into Elizabeth Shue. Right. So, the, so the, the butterfly that flapped in 1955 caused the desk to be oriented the opposite direction. Sure. Yeah, and, and now there's a ladder and now the song is shorter. <laughs> it has changed Johnny Be Good as a, as a song. Yeah. Um. I'm, I'm re- I really relate to Marty right now because uh, growing up in high school, I was kind of a, I was a theater nerd. So I, I spent a lot of time backstage uh, you know, you know, building stuff and, and, and painting. But I always, my, my the thing I dreaded the most was having to climb up into the fly and, uh, mess with the lights or mess with like the, the sandbags. Like I, I just was not good with heights back then. So, uh, just personally, I have, I have a lot of respect for Marty's bravery. And I, I think Ron had a similar uh, background. Yeah, I, don't, I, I don't blame you. It's horrifying. It's absolutely not not only climbing up the ladder and going up vertically, but then he's you know, as he's crawling on this, you know, two pipes with with bars every looks like four feet or so. And that is swinging from left to right. This is this is the thing that nightmares are made of. It's all because yeah, those things are not steady. At oh, they're, all. Yeah, I mean, they're not locked down. Yeah, they're hanging. They're literally hanging from the ceiling. So it's it's an absolute nightmare. Yeah. And, and this is kind of, um, you know, we, 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 we've spoken about this a couple of times, but I think the reason that the Back of the Future trilogy is so great is there are moments like this of like relatable heroism yeah. where like, you know, not, you know, none of us are ever going to like cut a bridge, a rope bridge with a, with a sword, you know, but something like this, you know, some of the other stuff Marty does, like it's just realistic enough where you can imagine yourself doing it. And I think well, that's the and key, the, And the, this, the stakes are so high that you know he's got to do something to stop uh, Biff's, you know, ruffians from beating himself up. Uh, but my question, my question for you is that since you worked in theater, if you found this yourself in this position where you need to uh, stop some ruffians from beating yourself up, um, would you know what rope to pull? Because um, I sure wouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> Back then, I probably would. Yeah. Um, Cause like I would have been like, oh, that's the one that's holding this thing, you know. Yep. Um, and, and again, it goes back to you know, thank thankfully that these ruffians have chosen to not beat Marty up and watch the song and and not yeah. try to not not try to beat him up. So that was very co- considerate of them to be standing in one place to be yeah. uh, the target of the sandbags. They're like hitting their they're like hitting their their instrument their weapons in time with the song. Listen, yeah. they're, they're into it. Listen, it's a rocking song. It's got a good beat. They don't know what this music is, but they're into it. You know, for now, we're going to lay off them for a second and let them play his music. So <laughs> my, my question with the sandbag, though, because, OK, I, I have very limited uh, theater experience. I, I worked a couple of plays when I was in high school. I was in a play shortly out of high school and I I was in a lot of bands. Um, a lot of bands, but you don't deal with a lot of sandbag issues when you're just like playing a rock show. Right. Um, so my question fun. with the sandbag is if it's attached to the rope that's tied to the thing, <laughs> what the hell is it doing? What is like, their purpose? Yeah, yeah, because yeah. the sandbags normally are, are they they drop to keep some to to like pull like some scenery up or something like that. But yeah, you've got yeah. a very good point that at this point, this is just a collection of sandbags hanging about twelve feet in the air for no apparent reason. Is it? Are they just storing them there for when they do the school play later in the year? I think it's obvious who's responsible for this gentleman. It's the Phantom of Hill Valley High. Jeez. <laughs> oh, <laughs> That's, oh, that's a very good point. I never thought about that. Is that it? It is a large collection of sandbags. It is not just like one 
but it is like I, I'm, I'm cutting to it now. It is I'm counting one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight sandbags all collected together. <laughs> Each one of those is probably what ten pounds. So you're talking like. Eighty pounds of sandbags, and honestly, if you've got eighty pounds of sandbags dropping from it, it looks like it potentially could be fifteen to twenty feet high. And if the average rate of gravity is what is nine point three meters per second, like these could be lethal sandbags to be on. Like Marty just might have just signed Billy Zane's death warrant, right? I think we have an answer as to why they're not why they're not around in nineteen eighty five. Marty just murdered the three of them. What if literally all eight of them just landed on Billy Zane? <laughs> it would still it wouldn't knock that toothpick out of his mouth that's for sure yeah. um but you yeah, know i like this idea where you're talking about this casual heroism and marty you know he's saving the day and he's climbing and he's dropping and then he's killing teenagers so yeah. <laughs> murdering well my my favorite part about the casual heroism is that he's saving himself so it's still <laughs> selfish but it's still allowed to be heroic because by saving himself, he's stopping a paradox that could destroy the universe. That That is quite possibly the most Ayn Rand sci-fi theory that there is. It's like, yes, he's a hero, but he's saving himself. <laughs> we must only save ourselves. Anyone exactly, else? Exactly. Yeah. Just, just slowing us down and making us weak. <laughs> so so you told us about the first time that you saw Back to the Future Part 2, but what what is your overall relationship with the trilogy? Uh, I love it. I mean, I, I'm, I was, I am, I am of the absolute correct generation for these movies. I saw, I saw all three in the theaters. Um, I saw the original Back to the Future in '85, and I saw actually, I saw all three movies in the same movie theater um, uh, on Long Island at the Comac Multiplex, which is now That's a Lowe's, cool. a Lowe's hardware store. So there you go. Um, oh. Yeah, so full circle. I don't know. Back to sandbags. Um, but uh, <laughs> no, but yeah, no. I, 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 this was, this was absolutely. I remember, I remember, I actually remember seeing all those movies. I remember the days. I remember, um, the excitement at the end of Back to the Future 2 because they showed the, the, the clips from Back to the Future Part 3 and it made no sense because they were cowboys. And, um, but, Question. uh, because this has been a point of contention for Scott and I who didn't get the opportunity. Yeah. Were you aware of a Back to the Future Part 3 while you were watching Back to the Future Part 2? Yeah. Oh, that's a really good, I want to say yes because, somewhere someone heard that they shot, they were shooting them at the same time. Like that was known. And I don't know if that was revealed after we were walking out of the movie and saw the clip or whatever, but somehow we knew that I, you know, I want to say maybe I seeing the movie, we didn't know until we saw it on the theater. And then afterwards looked into it and found out they shot them at the same time. Hmm. Um, yeah, it's hard to, cause I was 12, so it's hard to remember exactly. But, um, yeah. uh, but yeah, I just remember it was absolutely mind blowing cause I, just as mind blowing as seeing the first movie and having it end with to be continued and we're just like, Oh my God, you know? Uh, so, um, but yeah, no, I love these movies. And then, and then, you know, over the years of, you know, VHS tapes and then leading into DVDs, this is always, uh, always on the shelf at, uh, every place I've lived ever, you know, like it's revisited whenever it was on TNT or whatever channel I was on, watch it again. Um, um, to this day, my sister and I, uh, trade quotes from back to the future pretty much on a regular basis. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, lo- love the movies. Huge fan. What, what's your, what's your ranking? Well, I mean, one, two, three. It's, it is the easiest. It is the easiest. Unlike the Star Wars uh, two trilogies, uh, there, there. I don't think there's any real ambiguity. I mean, the one is classic. Two is a fun sequel. Three is nonsense, and so that just kind of goes in that order. So, <laughs> oh, yeah. see, see, Nick and I are of a dissenting opinion. Nick and I are one, three, twos. 
Well, I think that's just crazy talk, but um, <laughs> don't, get wrong, don't get me wrong. I don't dislike three. Like I don't, I don't, I don't look at three the same way I look at the, uh, like episode two with Star Wars, where it's just an awful piece of film. I think three has a lot going for it and it's a lot of fun. Um, I just, I just a little too much ZZ Top, a little too much Mary Steenburgen. You know, it's just, it's just, it, you uh, know, I don't like think there's any such thing as too much Mary Steenburgen. Oh, man, that voice, <laughs> that voice, Emmett. But uh, <laughs> uh, but yeah, no. For me, I mean, I really, I really did like two a lot. I, th- I liked a lot of the future stuff, and I like, uh, you know, of course, all the the stuff. You know, as we got into 2015 and joking about what came true and what didn't, and all that mm-hmm. kind of deal. But um, I, will, I will say, you know, we've been talking. You know, so this this past, we're kind of wrapping up the summer of 2016. Thank God, and um, you know, it's been kind of a lousy year at the summer at at the multiplex, at least for blockbusters. You know, we've had sequel after sequel that is like underperformed or flat out bombed. And I think a big uh, part of, um, you know, American moviegoers kind of staying away is that a lot of these sequels don't really feel essential. Like, you know, we we went to go see Civil War because we were like, oh, we have to see how Iron Man and Captain America, you know, handle their relationship. And then also Spider-Man, it, it felt like an appointment, but. Right. You know, now you see me too, and the Huntsman too, and like. Well, but the thing, the, the, the thing was, is back then, at least in the eighties, is that we that you didn't have a guaranteed sequel. Um, I mean, like even look at these movies. Five years passed between, you know, or four years passed between Back to the Future one and two. Yeah. Uh, you know, like, and so like it was, it was just long enough where we couldn't believe that we were getting a sequel because so much time had passed. Whereas now it's just easy with these, you know, kind of. Um, franchises to you know we see the whole slate of the next ten years of Warner Brothers and of Marvel and all and Disney and all that sort of stuff. Their 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 planning goes way in ahead, but there was never. I mean, like I remember when Ghostbusters two came out, we're like we couldn't believe that we were getting a second Ghostbusters movie. It's amazing. And you know, yeah, so. it, it used to be that a sequel felt earned. Yes, yeah. You, you know, like like you know Scott and I talk, have talked a lot in private and in public about Scream two, which yeah. you know. For a slasher movie, which is kind of, you know, not the most respected genre in the in the cinema world, felt like an event. Like, this is Scream 2, you know? Wow, you, mm-hmm. you, 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 you had a lot of time in your hands in the late 90s, huh? <laughs> well, I was, I was, I, 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 was, I don't know, I, I, I don't know, if, I don't know if I put the same weight on the sequel to Scream as you did, but sure, go for it. <laughs> <laughs> well, see, see, I was, I was 12, like you were when this yeah. came out. Okay. So, uh, Scream 2 felt like an event. To me, in yeah. the same where it was like I never thought I was going to see those characters again, and then I got to see all those characters. And wow. to me, I, so I think you guys, you guys are just huge Nev Campbell fans, aren't you? <laughs> uh, David Arquette. Let's. Oh, okay, David, of course, David, and Jamie Kennedy. Who doesn't love Jamie Kennedy? So. <laughs> right. And, uh, well, I have a documentary I could I could show you to answer that question. Uh, <laughs> I think to me, the most I've ever been excited for a sequel, like literally shaking, was besides Force Awakens. Um, Spider-Man two, because mm. I was, again, I, I was 13 the summer that that came out and I was just, that felt like the most important thing that had ever happened to me. And like when, <laughs> when Harry turned around and was wearing a green bow tie and like everyone in the audience was like, Oh, like we were so nice. We were so innocent back then. That was all we needed. 
I mean, that's a, that's a really good question as to what, you know, what sequel. I mean, and the thing is, I, I take Star Wars and I put it off the off the off the map. You know what I mean? Sure. Like Star Wars is just a whole nother thing. But in terms of not only what sequel, what sequel were you are you most excited for, but had the the gravitas, like like you said, to earn it, you know, and that that's a that's a really interesting question. I mean, I know. I know personally for me, um, Tron Legacy was like that was that, that, like this better be good because because I'd put Tron on such a big shelf and you know right. thirty years had passed and that sort of thing and I actually ended up I like Tron Legacy a lot more I think than other people did and critics and things like that um, but uh, I also remember being really really um, concerned about Clerks too. Oh, oh yeah, I really be- like Clerks too. Oh, Clerks 2 is a bad movie, my friend. It is a bad movie. It is like, I remember walking out of Clerks 2 going, wow, Rosario Dawson is a great actor. Like, oh, yeah. That, that, was just, that was purely because she was surrounded by horrible actors. <laughs> but I remember yeah. me, me and Connor from my fanboy went to see Clerks 2, and I was just like, because Clerks, to me, Clerks defined a genre and define an era and like clerks really in 1994, oh, yeah. that kind of that kicked off the whole geek lifestyle, you know, 10 years before it even began to become mainstream and popular. It was like, you know, like Clerks was this thing where I saw Clerks in the theater and we, and they were making Star Wars jokes and things like that. And this is in the dark times. This is in 94 when nobody cared about Star Wars. And it was like, oh wow, there are people who are like us. And then the idea to 12 years later do a sequel, um, just, I get more, that's the thing that you mentioned Force Awakens. Like I get more nervous at these sequels because I don't want it to tarnish what I'd love that came before. So, right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And to see them actually uh, uh, taking a step down the ladder rather than than up. I think the problem with Clerks 2 is a movie that I enjoy. I I think it was kind of a betrayal of like, I don't think those characters would be in that position. I think it would have been more honest if they had like, you know, boring white collar jobs. You know what I mean? Yeah, kind of, kind of <laughs> if somebody if someone worked in an office or something, you know, just like at a, sh- yeah. you know, a shitty sales job or something. Yeah. yeah. So, um, but, um, so, so uh, speaking of a movie that uh, doesn't have a sequel or or unless you count a certain Steve Martin, uh, Rick Moranis joint, <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, Goodfellas, tell people uh, about Goodfellas Minute, which is it's a, a whole thing. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a whole it. thing that is that is that is done and completed. Yeah, no, uh, myself and Josh Finnegan and Connor Kilpatrick, who I also do I fanboy the I fanboy podcast with. Um, we we did what you guys are doing here. We we did Goodfellas Minute, um, and we did the entire movie. It's all there, GoodfellasMinute.com. You can subscribe to the RSS feed and, and start at the beginning, and it's never going anywhere. As we say now, it's evergreen, and uh, and we we got that we got. It's like when you finish a marathon, you get the medal. We got the minute medal is that we completed a movie. Um, and yeah, and, and basically what that, what that, the, the art is similar to you guys is that, you know, we listened to Star Wars Minute. We're, you know, we're, you know, we were friends with, uh, Alex Robinson and then became friends with Pete, the retailer, and really enjoyed what they're doing with Star Wars Minute. And, and so, so much to the point where loving the format, go, God, I wish we had thought about that, thought of that before they did. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, um, after, you know, all, I think all three of us appeared on Star Wars Minute at various times over the years. And then, um, actually it was, uh, someone very close to me when we were, we were talking about about Star Wars Minute, it was like, you guys should do Goodfellas. You guys would be perfect at Goodfellas. And uh, and Goodfellas is a movie that Josh and Connor and myself have quoted over the years, much similar to Star Wars and Back to the Future. It was just one of those quotable movies. And we there was a time where we were all living in New York City. Josh lived a couple of blocks from the cab stand that was in the, 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 the shooting location in Goodfellas. So it was just one of those things that was always present in our lives. And so we said, you know, if we're going to do a minute podcast, Goodfellas is probably the best one to do. And so we, we did it. 
You know what? I've kind of noticed a common denominator between Goodfellas. Star- they're, they're all great hangout movies. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's a good point. Mm-hmm. Like, it, yeah. it, they're all comfort movies, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Good, yeah, and I, I'm a I was an avid listener of uh, Goodfellas Minute. Uh, oh, I listened, you. you guys were the first one I'd listen to uh, every morning. Uh, you you I think if I'm not mistaken, you guys came out at like the perfect time where you just completely filled the hiatus left between Star Wars movies. And and that was and that was completely not planned. Essentially, basically, what had happened was is that um, I had I had recorded Jedi Minute with Pete and Alex in the summer of so some last year. Uh, or was it Jedi? I don't remember what movie it was, but I got into record with them, and that's when I asked them permission. I, I think we were the first, like we were the first ones out of the gate who were like, "Okay, we're going to do another. We're doing it." And that's where Pete said, "You know, the only yeah, we're fine. I'm fine with it. The only thing is, you just got to finish it." I'm like, "Don't worry, we'll finish it." But um, and then so that was like June or July of 2015, and then we started figuring out, okay, well, when are we going to launch this sucker? And I we real very quickly realized that September 21st was the 25th anniversary of the movie's release. So we're like, that seems like a great time to launch. So we just launched the day the movie came out originally in in 1990, um, and then we did what September until April. That was our run. So yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, it, it's a it's a it's a really great show, and uh, to the point where. I I was really hoping I, like when I was thinking when you were when when you were nearing the end before you announced that you weren't going to do a second film I was hoping that you would do something like Ferris Bueller's Day Off that had lots more road talk to do <laughs> where you guys could figure out like how how everyone's driving around because that was like one of my favorite things well that, um, and that would have been that would have been a ton of fun but that's the reason why we didn't it was because they're because like i i enjoy um i enjoy ferris bueller's day off but i don't know chicago i don't know the chicago right. roads i don't know the loop right. i don't know that <laughs> right. but um but 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 when it comes to driving around long island that is one area that i i'm proud to say i'm an expert on and so we had a lot of fun with that just have uh, you thought about maybe returning to new york at some point maybe doing like a wolf of wall street minute or a gangs of new york minute or an after hours minute <laughs> No, because the thing is, is that for at least for us, it's 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 we really got we for the three of us, at least for us to do it together. We all have to have a shared love of the movie. Mm-hmm. And like I've seen Wolf of Wall Street twice, you know, like I don't like, you know, like I, I, I mean, I've seen The Godfather a lot, but that would just be miserable. I mean, the part of it is that it's got to for us, at least it's got to it's got to be that perfect balance of love and admiration and it's almost like a triangle. So you got love and admiration in one corner, and the other corner you've got um, uh, stuff to talk about, whether it's you know pointing out the absurd or laughing and finding all those jokes. But then for me, the thing that I loved about Goodfellas and personally was the historical aspect, was that so much of it was based in reality. And actually, if you guys came to New York, I could take you to not only to where they shot it, but where that actually really happened. And that aspect is for me is yeah. what, what was personally kind of gratifying. And joking about how long it takes to drive to, to Rockville Center and things like that. <laughs> But, um, but you know, so it's, and no other movie, like Wolf of Wall Street, yeah, that all really happened and took place in New York. And I was aware of it when it was happening, but like, I don't really care about it. So, mm-hmm. um, it's, it's, it's really, uh, you really activated my imagination because now yeah. I, I'm thinking about what, you know, the great Chicago podcast yeah. could happen, like Ferris yeah, exactly. Bueller, Blues Brothers. Yeah. Uh, except, except the fact that anybody who does one of these uh, minute podcasts is a masochist, and uh, if <laughs> and and I'm amazed you guys are doing not just one but three, and I have a ton of respect for it because Lord knows from September to April my life was pretty much get up, go to work, edit shows, record shows, go to work, edit shows, record shows. <laughs> so, so, oh yeah, a lot of work. Mm-hmm. So I, I, a lot of respect to you guys. So. <laughs> well, and, uh, uh, 
Ron, why don't you uh, why don't you go ahead and plug uh, the Pick of the Week podcast while you're while you're at it? Yeah, yeah. So we yeah. In addition to Goodfellas Minute, we all, the, what the the podcast that started it all for us was iFanboy.com. Uh, every week we're talking about uh, the, the comics that came out came out, which ones we liked, uh, as well as we kind of we get together and talk about the big comic book movies and things like that. I just we just recorded the, our Suicide Squad podcast, uh, which is going to be in a couple of days. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, but yeah, pretty it's much anything wild, comic baby. books, anything comic books. It's all it's all fair game at iFanboy.com. So check that out. What are you thinking about that Civil War too? Oh, jeez. Okay, yeah, cool. It's fine. I mean, no, actually, Dave Marquez is a great artist, and the art uh, is beautiful. Uh, stories that's, a little older than that. That's the thing, right? It's hard to say, like, I've tried to cut that book, but every time I open the first page of the next one, and I'm like, oh, my God, this art's so good. Yeah. <laughs> and I just can't do it. Yeah. Um, but, uh, all right. Well, Ron, thanks for being on the show. Really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. And yeah, and if you uh, want to find out more about what we're doing over here, go to duelinggenre.com. It's uh, the Umbrella Corporation, but not that Umbrella Corporation that uh, hosts all of our podcasts. Uh, you can contact us at contact at backtothefutureminute.com. Email us. We're doing a weekend edition because you helped pay for it. And we need your emails and your comments on duelinggenre.com to fuel the fire. Uh, we, we read comments. We Keep the conversation going, and uh, you can tweet us at BTTF Minute. Uh, we love our Twitter followers. We uh, we're just we're so lucky. We have no jerks. We have no jerks that 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 reach out to us. We've only had really cool, fun uh, human people, and and we're proud of that. Uh, you can uh, follow us on Tumblr, bttfminute.tumblr.com, where we've had cool things like gifts and, and someone drew a Jaeger that we talked about once, and that was the, one of the ten coolest <laughs> things that's happened to me on a podcast. Um, and you can like us on Facebook, leave a review on iTunes, which really helps us out. Uh, the doctor's companion where we, uh, we actually just got done talking about a very bad episode of doctor who, but it was fun because we did it with Cassandra Fredrickson, who's the best. And she just directed an incredible episode of geek by night. Uh, I mean, you want to talk about hard, hard work, uh, Scott Corelli and Scott Tofty, uh, busted their asses making our most technically ambitious episode yet. Well, I, I also want to mention uh, Geek by Night, which might be familiar to Ron, um, because he guest starred on an episode about seven years ago. <laughs> oh, so you're an OG. Yeah, I did. Yeah, yeah. I did. Yeah. 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 Who were you? Can I ask all, who you all, all three iFanboys were, uh, they played customers in an episode. Oh, right. It was in the, wait, were they the, were they the other comic book store owners? No, they were the three that uh, when Mindy was running the store, uh, they came in and had to deal with her. And wow. We need to bring that character back. I'm <laughs> like, where yeah, am I? That was back like in 08, I think. Or something. Yeah, yeah. Something yeah. like that. Yeah. 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 Take that Chris Hardwick. Uh, <laughs> and uh you can uh check out our patreon at duelinggenre.com slash support uh hit the donate button it really helps us out and uh we're gonna you know pay it forward because the more financial support we get the more cool things we're gonna do like live episodes and all kinds of stuff and we can even get you can even get merch uh t-shirts with our cartoon faces on them drawn by uh kevin ziegler uh i won't wear it but I, i'll gladly wear a geek by night one because i feel weird about wearing my face and a uh, special thanks to our Patreon associate producer, as always, Leaper, one to the eight to the two. And we'll see you guys on Comic Book Day, a.k.a. Wednesday. Bye. Bye. Bye.